Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. In my experience with hybrid teaching has, I mean, my students have been great about it, but I feel like I'm constantly distracted because I am monitoring the chat and I'm speaking to people online and there's always some kind of technology issue. Despite my best efforts, I feel like it's not as good as it would have been all in person or all online. The other part that I think about that's interesting with podcasts and therefore any types of these events I think you feel more connected to the presenters, don't you? So I think that's the that's the key thing is in many classes, you particularly be able to get TAs, right? Teaching assistants. Now with virtual we need PAs, we need producing assistants. Hi, this is Colin, and I wanted to ask you a favour. It would really help Ryan and I if you could spend a moment and complete a review of the podcast. Positive reviews help us get out to more people, and we love hearing from our listeners and seeing what people have written. So please, just take a moment and complete a review. Thanks very much for your help. So Ryan, today we've got a really special guest on the programme. We have with us uh, Joe Pine. Hi Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Colin, although I suspect you say that to all your guests. Oh, well, listen, mate, let me let me tell you this. <laughs> I've not had any guests on this show that has changed my life, and you're one of them. Wow. Okay? Well, that's, that's high praise. <laughs> so let me tell you how you changed my life. Back in 1998, Joe wrote a book along with uh, Jim Gilmore called uh, The Experience Economy, and I was working at British Telecom at that point. And I read this book and I thought, bloody hell, wow, this is really good. Uh, and I went in to see my boss and went, have you seen this? Have you, seen, have you thought about this? Or, you know, and look at this and everything. Else. And then after a period of time, he set me on the, the route of trying to improve the customer experience and everything else. So uh, listen, mate, you genuinely set me oh, on yeah. this, this path. Well, so, I, um, I, did, I, did, I didn't know all that, Colin, I, uh, that, um, that that was it. So, so, so thank you. It's very gratifying to hear. I know you came to uh, you know, a couple of our Think About events uh, way back when, yeah. which was great. And, and uh, we did an event uh, for South Africa earlier this year, and, which was wonderful. So it's a pleasure to be with you again here. So Joe and I did a webinar a few weeks ago with uh, Lou Carbone, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes for that, anybody who's interested in that. But on talking to Joe, one of the things I've always admired about him is is how he can sort of think ahead and, and, and see what the trends are that are coming. So we thought it'd be good to talk about some of the, as we're coming out of this sort of COVID crisis pandemic, we thought it'd be good to pick Joe's brains on what are the trends coming out? What's he seeing that we think we should be paying attention to? So I'm sure we'll get this done in the next four hours, Joe. So I'm <laughs> sure we'll be fine. <laughs> we have a high standard for our listeners, Joe. We expect actual prophecy. All right. Well, that's funny because I always, I always say I'm not a futurist. 
Right. I'm not, I don't tell you what's going to happen. I tell you what's already happening. You just don't yet see it. <laughs> In some ways, that's got to be a lot more useful, actually. <laughs> yeah, listen, I know some people that still don't know that there's a thing called social media. Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I've got a partner like that. <laughs> so what do you see coming out of the pandemic, Joe? Where, where do you think we are and what are those things that are happening, but we just haven't seen them yet? Well, it's interesting to see how much things have changed, you know, from a year ago. Uh, I can still remember it was back in March, March 1st, I I flew out to Oakland, California for an event. And on the way out, I'm reading the USA Today, and it says, first case of the uh, coronavirus has been found in Oakland, California. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, then the next week I was, I was going to Hawaii and, and that event got canceled. Yeah. And so for a long time, there were basically no events. Then we shifted to virtual events. And, and it is amazing to me how, how effective they, in fact, can be. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you miss. There's always, there's always the networking effect that you get is such that people love being in the physical events because things happen by serendipity. You meet people and so forth. And you can't replace that in the same way. But at least in terms of information content and for, in terms of learning, that virtual has worked out very well, at least when the participants want to learn. <laughs> yeah, just the reach. I, mean, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, just, just the amount of people that you can, you can talk to literally over the globe. Right. And Ryan, you, you teach as well, right? You have a, a university? Yes. My full-time job when I'm not podcasting is I'm a marketing professor. Right. And so you know the difference between students who want to learn and students who don't want to learn. <laughs> and when, yes. You know, yes. And, and the students who don't want to learn, when it's virtual, it's like there's no chance that, if, that you yes. can get them. Right. Because they'll just do something else. They'll just, they'll just go off. And so, but for those that do, there's a lot of value. But what's already starting to go on, I think, well, well let me preface it by saying too that that the desire for physical is there, right? It's very clear there's a desire for physical. We have a experience economy expert certification class that we that we schedule in August. We do a public one in August every year here in, in Minnesota where I, where I live. And then we do private ones and occasionally ones. I did. I had one scheduled in Denmark, first for April, then September. Well, you couldn't do either one of those, yeah. so we went virtual with those. And they were very effective again. But I had multiple people tell me, no, I'm going to wait for the physical one to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you know that there is more value of being there live. You'll learn more. You, things will spark again. You get the uh, interaction with people that can only happen physically. But where it's, it's tending to go is, already even is with is with hybrid events. And there's a lot of discussion about hybrid events. But but I think that that's the, the value is, is that being both physical and virtual, ideally at the same time. You know, I wrote a book a number of years ago, um, another book called Infinite Possibility, Creating Customer Value on the Digital Frontier. And it is all about using technology to fuse the real and the virtual. And hybrid events is, is less about fusing the real and the virtual, although the, some of that is possible. It's about being able to uh, at least do both simultaneously. And so the model that that I think that's happening is that for those sorts of experiences that lend themselves to this, that can be done virtually and physically, uh, that people value you know, watching it online and so forth, which includes conferences and events and sporting events, concerts, festivals, even retail environments and so forth, is that you will do both physical and virtual, that you, you'll, you'll have the physical experience like we did before, but 
maybe it only has 10, 20, 30% of the people that were there before, whether it's because of the physical limitations. I know, I note that in American football, you know, they're starting to put like five to 10,000 people in the stands, you know, that'll hold 50 to, to 70,000. Yeah. And so for those people though, think about how much more in demand those tickets are <laughs> than previous ones. I'm sure they're not charging more for it because they're seasoned ticket holders and so forth. But in some cases, because of that scarcity, you can actually charge more for the physical experience when you have fewer people that can uh, attend to it. And then you simulcast it, right? Then you take it, you're, you're, you're showing it online as well simultaneously so that people are watching it virtually. They may, may not be paying the full admission fee. They may be paying 50%, maybe 20% of that fee, but there's, there's value there for them to, to see it uh, virtually. But that's not enough. I think that, that what we need to do is learn from online experiences like Twitch in particular. Right, you you both familiar with Twitch? Yep. Yes. So, are you sure, Ryan? I have children, um, <laughs> and so I just picked up that sense that you were going. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I know about those things. No, I don't my, really. My <laughs> child shamed me just yesterday for not knowing one of the prominent online Minecraft video gamers on Twitch by name I, as in i didn't understand who this celebrity was who plays video games on twitch right and so, i was ashamed it, it is a, it's an amazing thing you think like even 10 years ago the thought of watching people play video games wasn't like nobody's head yeah and then twitch came along you know bought by amazon for a billion dollars and the key reason though is not it's not just that people are watching uh, video people play video games it's that they're interacting with other people watching people play video games the way my son I explained it to me the other day because I was I was chatting to him about this stuff because he he works in um, one of the advertising agencies. You go and watch football, soccer, whatever it is, whatever sport it is. So what's the difference between that and watching somebody playing a game on? You know, if you're into that game, what's the what's the difference? And the reality is there isn't any difference, is there? Right, exactly. It's virtual twice over, right? Because the person you're watching is having a virtual experience playing a video game as opposed to a real soccer game, for example. And then you're virtually watching that virtual experience happen. And you get both the view of the person playing it and the view of the virtual experience, you know, again, you know, twice on your on your computer. It's sort of a, it is sort of an amazing thing. But it, it but it is the social interactivity that makes it work. So I think what companies need to do is they need to add what I'll, what I'll call here twitchification, right? They need to twitchify their virtual experience. Let people interact with each other. They're, like on Twitch, they'll put people that become really good at the, at the commentary, the overlapping of it, and become like hosts of the experience versus the actual MC in the live event, whoever that may be. And there'll be others that are, that are commenting. And you can, in fact, get more value Again, if you want to learn, if you want to be a part of it, you get more value out of this than you do out of the live event. You don't get to say you were there live and there are things you miss out, but but the fact that you can interact, you can meet more people and you may, as experienced stager, you may be able to get uh, 10, 20, 100 times as many people as you could uh, live. You may be able to get that that virtually and that's a key benefit to it. What is your digital or physical experience like from a customer perspective? What should you change? How do you compare against your competition? Whether you're a small, medium or large size organization, 
Why not let me or one of the team review your digital or physical experience by undertaking what we call an experience health check? In this short and affordable engagement, we will act as a customer. And if that's not practical, we will talk to your customers and we will assess your experience against best practice. We will then provide you with a series of actionable recommendations for change. If you're interested in finding out more, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. It's interesting because I was talking to somebody about this the other day. We're doing some work with a client and we're on Microsoft Teams and we were, somebody was presenting some stuff and there were loads of people commenting on things and having a conversation in the comments, okay? Before lockdown or before pre-pandemic, people wouldn't necessarily do that so much, yeah? But what I discovered was, as I started to read the comments, some of them were really interesting. They weren't speaking out. I ended up saying, hey, there's a really interesting comment that Bert has just made. Bert, do you want to tell everybody? I guess sort of reinforcing your point was that there was so much value in those comments. The danger is, is they would be left on the table. And I guess part of that is then the sort of whole sort of social structure about whether people want to put their head above the parapets and maybe making comments like that is is more acceptable. But the other thing that was then interesting was reviewing them afterwards and having the ability to go back and review them and, and think about some of the some of the comments that were being made. Right, which allows you to do another round of interaction, you know, asynchronously uh, with them. Yeah. So I guess the part for me is because I can absolutely buy into the the bit about doing an event and 10% of the people are there and everybody else is sort of looking in. I guess that part is then moving it around to different locations. So again, I'm, I'm thinking of other podcasts that I listen to. And it's been interesting that they've been doing live events, live podcasts, which again, I thought has been sort of quite interesting, but they've been moving to different cities, yeah, to get more people involved. And I guess that's also therefore about just building up that, I don't know what you really call it brand, but building up that engagement with the audience, because you're also then taking it to them rather than everybody just necessarily coming to you as it were right well you know, that's that's part of that physical you know that being their physical notion is like okay this podcast is in my city right now sure. right so it yeah. becomes an event you know more of an event that's going on and there's value in that as well yeah and and when i i was talking to ryan about this a few weeks ago the other part that i think about that's interesting with podcasts and therefore any types of these events I think you feel more connected to the presenters, don't you? Mm -hmm. So if I think of the podcasts that I listen to, and, you know, there's two or three that I've been listening to for sort of four years, five years or something like that, I feel that I've got more of an affinity with the presenters because I feel I know them more. So that could cause me to want to go and see them speak at an event or be part of that event because I, I feel part of that show even though i'm just a listener listening to these people pontificate about different things yeah it's the same if you're a fan of a sport team or you know or a musician of some sort because when you think about it and just you're making me think joe which is what i like always like talking about you 
talking with you. Um, not talking about you, talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> he loves thinking, he comes up with very creative things to say about you when he's talking about you. But no, it really just made me, it just made me think that it's getting to, you feel like you're getting to know that individual and therefore you're part of it. And it's an interest, I guess, is the point I'm making. So if I go to see a soccer game, it's because I'm interested in soccer games. If I go to, because I'm interested in soccer. If I go to watch Minecraft, it's because I'm interested in Minecraft. If I go to one of your events on on experience economy, then it's because I'm interested in, in the experience economy. It's not necessarily related to whether it's a sport or whatever else. It's related to the fact that I'm interested in this subject. So, Joe, can I ask you a real broad question? And I've, I've been trying to figure out the best way to phrase this in my head, and I haven't come up with anything good. So I'm just going to give you a really difficult question. We've talked so far about advantages of in-person events and the advantages of online events, and, and there's a great opportunity to kind of marry both of those and do the same thing. There's also a real danger of smashing these two things together and making it worse than either would be by itself. My experience with hybrid teaching has, I mean, my students have been great about it, but I feel like I'm constantly distracted because I am monitoring the chat and I'm speaking to people online and there's always some kind of technology issue. And so in some sense, despite my best efforts, I feel like it's not as good as it would have been all in person or all online. So this idea of, of Twitchifying these events is great, but can you can you give us some more specific insights or experiences that you had or advice that you have? How do we make it better than either is by itself instead of making it worse than both would be by themselves? You, you remind me when I used to I used to work for IBM, you know, way back when. Many occasions there was the opportunity to talk about how we were creating the best of both worlds. And I always thought about, well, sometimes you create the worst of both worlds. <laughs> yes. Sometimes that's exactly what happens. Yes. So your problem, Ryan, when you're teaching, here's your problem. You are your own producer. Yes. <laughs> you need a producer <laughs> to do this well. You need somebody else who is thinking about that. And so that you can just do what you do. You know, thinking back to a sporting event, you know, you don't, Colin, you may not know this, but, you know, Yogi Berra, uh, a famous uh, baseball player. Yeah, I remember that. I remember. Okay. Oh, no. I, I thought you were talking about the cartoon character. No, no. He you, was yeah, named the, after he, the he, baseball Yeah, player. he was named after the baseball player. I don't oh, know. Right. Who, okay, too. I don't know who Boo Boo is named after, but anyway. <laughs> the, the, uh, it was a real weird thing. One of the many, many Yogi Bearisms that are out there is he talked about his manager told him to go up to the plate and, and think about what you're doing, right? Think about where you want to hit it and so forth. And he goes up to the plate and he takes one strike down the middle and doesn't, doesn't swing. He takes another strike straight down the middle, doesn't swing. He takes a third strike. He's out, never swang. And the, and, and the manager says, what's going on? He says, well, you can't expect me to think and swing at the same time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that's the way with these events is you can't, you can't teach and produce. You can't speak and produce. You can't perform and produce at the same time and do it well. I mean, obviously you can't do it, but and do it well because, you, yes, you're right, you get distracted. So that's one of the key things is that you need to work with good producers who know what they're doing. And, and that's one of the things that I've really seen over the last six months is how many great uh, producers there are, how much great technology there is, all the different ways that, that are doing this, the innovation that's going on, both in terms of, of the companies that are creating things and innovating, you know, like Zoom and Hopin and, 
and and so forth. And then Miro and, and whiteboards, uh, virtual whiteboards and that, you know, all this stuff that's going on, as well as the innovations that individual producers are making and how things go about. So I think that's the that's the key thing is in many classes, you know, particularly at the, you, know, you, you, you be able to get TAs, right, teaching assistants. Now with virtual, we need PAs, we need producing assistants that are out there and help do all of that function that monitor the chat and, and, and what's going on, handle the technical problems behind the scenes and so forth. And that's the case in any sort of experience. Now, there's also, I want to mention a, a third le- third and fourth level actually to this model. You know, the first level of, of doing the physical, a second level of uh, Twitchifying the virtual experience. Then the third level though is, is to still sell the individual pieces of it asynchronously at some later point for, for a smaller fee, but still some fee where people want to see it. You know, so like TED, you know, went virtual this year, the TED conference. I spoke there about, way back in 2004 and they actually went to, to a hybrid where they're going to is where you're going to be able to go physically or you're going to be able to do it virtually. But of course, then they put the TED Talks all online. Mm-hmm. So you take those individual ones, you put them online. And there are, in many situations, you and TED could charge for them, but for, as a benefit to the world, they don't want to charge for them. But you could charge at that third level. And the fourth level is where you sort of create the highlights reel. You take bits and pieces, you put it together to be able to get people to realize, wow, I missed a great event, right? That, that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out. And then, well, hey, I want to go to the next one. Right, I want to be there. So those four levels are things that that will drive the experience business. I think you know, more and more over the next uh, few years. And it makes you wonder whether there is then, well, how you get that sort of integration, doesn't it? In the sense of whether you lose too much of the feeling online. So I'm thinking, Joe, of one of your events. When I remember coming along to a couple of those events in the early days it was very sort of hands-on. I guess the challenge is trying to replicate that online, isn't it? The hands-on part of it. Because you can watch people build, I can't remember, you know what, I think it was something like build something. I remember just doing something like, do you remember all that? We built Trade Bruce at the Cerritos Library event. Is that the one you're Yes, about? that's right. Yeah, Cerritos, blimey, that was ages ago. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> but yeah, that that was it. It was it was actually building something. So you now start to think about, so how's that being done? How do you do that online? And that becomes the challenge, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's where Minecraft comes in, right? Is that if you've got the right tools, you can replicate that where people could build things, build a trade booth, they can interact with each other in Minecraft or in some virtual world. It's the harder part is getting the, the physical to interact with the virtual at the same time. But that technology is out there and being worked on and become more mainstream over time to make that happen. You do have to think differently about what you're going to do virtually. That it, you, you, It's not just exactly the same because it is harder to get people to interact. You know, those, the think about events that you're talking about, uh, Colin, that we did for 20 years, we always made the point of calling the people who came participants, not attendees. Yeah. Right, because it, it was a different event. You made the event, the participants sort of, you didn't just build trade booths, you built the event. <laughs> you know, we, we provided the content and then you guys created the event, which, which was great, which is harder to translate online, although not, uh, not impossible. It takes more thought, more production and so forth. I'll be honest, Joe, I never thought I would hear the sentence, and that's where Minecraft comes in uh, on this podcast. 
I think the interesting thing of all of this is it just goes to show, A, the innovation that's going to start to pop up in all of these areas. I was talking to my son the other day about just the whole sort of concept of gaming, which is where we were talking about, you know, people watching people, et cetera, et cetera. The whole gaming industry is just obviously growing massively. And going back with my with my old BT hat on, I was thinking, bloody hell, we've really got to sort the issue of broadband out and just the speeds that people get in different locations because it's uh, it's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah, if, if you could start with my house, I appreciate it because you know, <laughs> we, we, we bought this house last November, not expecting a pandemic. So like the lights in my office area, you know, for not good for Zooming. But anyway, yeah, they told us it had high-speed internet. And we said, all right, that's what we need. Got to have that. And then little did I know to them, high-speed internet was DSL. <laughs> so I went from a cable modem to DSL. And now I'm getting a bid on fiber optics. It may cost me, you know, $10,000 or more to get fiber optics in my house. But you know, I gotta have it at this point. Worth it, yes, yeah. And I have to say, I've done the same. In when we've been looking to, we were looking to move house a little while ago, and literally the first thing I was doing was, what's the broadband speed? (laughs) If you're in England and you're buying a 400 year old cottage, (laughs) the broadband speeds there may not be exactly uh, exactly good. Okay, so let's try and bring this together. So what are the top recommendations, top tips? What do you think people should do based on this conversation? Ryan, what are your thoughts? I love how broadly Joe is thinking about this. I've had insights that I'm excited to bring back to my my teaching now. Uh, the big one for me that I, I heard and I was thinking about, we've got a set of skills associated with in-person events that make them work well. I think there's a separate set of partially overlapping skills that make an online event work well. And one of the points that Joe made is there's a third set of skills that's required to make a hybrid event work well. And again, some of those overlap with the other two, but some of them don't. And so if you're going to think about running successful hybrid events, it's not enough to think about both online and in-person events. There's actually a third set of things that need to happen in order for a hybrid event to go well. And that may uh, that almost certainly means hiring additional people with a different set of skills than either of the other two would be. So if you want to work this well, you kind of need to master all three of those domains and uh, and, and get them to integrate and work well together. So that, that was a key insight for me and I, I appreciated hearing it. Good, thank you. And Joe, what would you recommend people took away and started to do? How do you make this practical? Well, and, and I'll, I'll tell Ryan one more thing you might think about, you know, given you, if you don't have a PA is, is can you make a student a PA for each session? You know, let them handle a lot of that stuff. And part of the part of the requirement of the course <laughs> is that. Well, uh, is well, that- I appreciate the insight, Joe. I actually have a policy of only learning one thing a day. So that, that <laughs> oh, was I'm sorry. Your, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're over your limit. I, I might right. consider well, it it's, it's the first time we've met, so I'll know that for the it future. Is. <laughs> no, it is. It's a great The idea that <laughs> it's so simple, but hearing another person say it, uh, no, dummy, you can't do all those things at the same time. That was actually really helpful for me to hear um, and, and a good point. Right. So so to your question, Colin, that applies to everybody else, too. You can't do all those things at the same time. You've got to think about what are the, the skills that you need to be able to make it happen. Another 
Well, let me give you a macro point and then a micro point. Macro point is it starts with mindset, though. You got to have the right mindset. You got to have the mindset of an experienced agent. Say this is not just about, for example, information service. You know, just like this podcast is not just about imparting information. It's about engaging yep. people for the for the time event, and that's what it takes to have an experience. The micro point too is is guess what? As we said in the the original edition of the Experience Economy way back in 1999, right? A totally another century from now. The subtitle was "Work is Theater in Every Business Stage." And work is theater. You're on stage when you're doing these events. And so guess what? One of the things you need is rehearsal. Hmm. Yeah. Right? You need rehearsal to be able to figure out the technology, to be able to, and so many people, and I, I have this tendency myself, want to just come out there and, and wing it, you know, another acting term. But instead, you need to think about uh, what you're doing and how you're doing it. You need to go through it, uh, have a run plan. That's what showrunners are for as well, and have the, the, the run of the show and so forth. And that's where producers producers know all that stuff, right? And they, they do it so, so well. Yeah, I've been that man. I've been doing some uh, LinkedIn Lives. And when I've been trying to do the LinkedIn Lives and read the comments and do all those other things all at the same time, it is just a nightmare. And so what we, we've done is I've got members of the team now that read the comments and give me a, you know, because the trouble is you try to read the bloody comment and, and there's some stupid comment that somebody's written and you end up five minutes trying to understand what the bloody stupid comment is. <laughs> I said I won't write in anymore, Colin. Let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And then you go categorize stupid. So put it over there. So anyway, and on that positive note, <laughs> so first thing I would say, if anybody has not been along to any of Joe's events, which I'm sure is a number of you, you need to go because they're really good. Okay. But Joe, where can people get hold of you? How do, how do people get in touch? Sure. You can always link in with me, look up Joe Pine or Joseph Pine. My Twitter account, my Twitter handle is at Joe Pine, J-O-E-P-I-N-E. Our website is strategichorizons.com, strategichorizons with an S.com. There's a bio of me. There's a link to all our books and all our events and, and courses and stuff, even our onstage uh, frontline video training offering. And then if you, if you go to the section on, on learning uh, where we talk about our thoughts posts, this hybrid event is, is out there as a thoughts post, basically a blog post that I wrote in December that has a visual model of it as well. So if you like it, you, you, you know, go check that out. Great. And um, we will put all of those links in the show notes as well. So uh, people can uh, just go into the show notes and click on, click on them and hopefully that helps. Great. Joe, it's been a real pleasure having you uh, on the show today. Great again to be talking about some um, thought leading stuff. So thanks very much for, for coming on the show. Well, Colin, it's always a pleasure. And Ryan, I look forward to the next time even being more of a pleasure. Yes, same. Thank you so much, Joe. Cheers. Just as a reminder, please, could you complete a review of the show? And that would really help us. Thanks very much. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.